0: This week we're going to continue with our study in Luke's Gospel. And uh, today we're going to look at the relationship and the connection between Mary and Elizabeth. And so I've got a long reading. I'm gonna break it up just a little bit to make a couple of comments. But I I want to frame the, the the talk today by understanding what it is that's going on between Mary and Elizabeth and how it is that they understood what it was that was going on. And then we're going to look at a specific truth that was revealed to Mary by the angel Gabriel and how that truth was manifest in the relationship between Mary and Elizabeth. So let's read together from Luke chapter one and verse 26. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth to a town in Galilee to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You've found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born in you will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month for nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me, as you have said. Then the angel left her." So Mary, as we've heard on many occasions, as we've looked at this uh, by during Christmases and in successive uh, nativity uh, services that we've been to all the way through our lives, we, we know this story, we know these words incredibly well. We know that Mary was this young woman, barely more than a girl. Girls of about 14 or 15 would usually be betrothed in marriage. And then, maybe 15 or 16, they would be married and enter a household with their new husband and begin a family together. That was the familiar pattern in the world in which Mary lived. Well, of course, that familiar pattern was gonna be interrupted. It was, going to be, it was going to be shaken by what it was that God was up to. God was gonna do something that had never been done before. God was going to come to a human being and be born into that human being so that he could be born from that human being. An amazing, amazing reality, an incredible truth. And one of, the, one of the central revelations of Scripture that God becomes a human being. And he becomes a human being in the person of Jesus and is, of course, announced by the angel Gabriel to be, as it were, implanted in the body of Mary. An amazing thought. No wonder she was, she was sitting there, standing there, whatever it was she, she was doing, completely bewildered by what it was that the angel was saying. But the angel immediately connected Mary and Elizabeth, her relative, was she a cousin? Uh, was she a distant aunt? We, we don't know. Elizabeth, of course, is significantly older than Mary, but there's clearly, from the outset, a connection between the two. Gabriel has come to Zechariah. We saw that last week. Zechariah has responded in the same words but in a different spirit to the response of Mary. He, he says almost exactly the same things. How can it be? But his question is with skepticism. Mary's question is with curiosity. It's an entirely different kind of question, isn't it? When we ask the Lord with curiosity in our heart how he's gonna do something, very different from asking with skepticism or even, might we say, cynicism. So Mary is this remarkable young woman whom God has seen fit to choose for this remarkable role in all of human history. And once she's heard that Elizabeth is also pregnant, she heads off to see her. Verse 39, at that time Mary got ready and hurried to the town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice she exclaimed, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. So what are we to understand about this re-engagement of Mary and Elizabeth? They obviously know each other. They're obviously relatives of some kind. They're part of the same extended family. John and Jesus appear to be people that know each other when John greets Jesus in the River Jordan that we'll read about in just a few weeks. So these are people that are familiar with one another, but clearly they've not had opportunity to spend enough time with each other to know the miraculous events that are taking place. Elizabeth, in her old age, is now with child and is going to give birth to a son called John in three months' time. And Mary has had this announcement that outside of the usual means of 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 procreation. She is going to have a child because of the work of the Holy Spirit within her. Amazing. Amazing. And there's clearly this remarkable moment when Elizabeth encounters God in Mary. She encounters God in Mary's greeting. And there's this remarkable moment of communion and deep relationship where Elizabeth and Mary are fashioned at a deeper level as friends and relatives and and Mary finds herself rejoicing because of what it is that she hears in the response of Elizabeth. What's What's it all about and how, how might it speak to us in our condition here in Dayton in the 21st century? Let's look a little bit deeper at what it was that the angel said to Mary. Look at verse 34 with me. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so that the Holy One to be born in you will be called the Son of God. So this is the annunciation of the incarnation of the Son of God. The most amazing event in all of human history, of all history across the universe, that God should become a human being born into human flesh and implanted in the womb of a young woman called Mary. An amazing, amazing truth. But look at the way that Gabriel says it's gonna take place because there are particular words that Gabriel uses to describe what is happening. Look at this word here, he says, he says the power of the most high will overshadow you. Now in the Greek language in which Luke's gospel is written this is a very unusual word to be found in scripture episkaizo epis which sounds like you know you've got some kind of allergy episkaizo is the word and it's used very sparingly in the new testament But interestingly, it's used to report one event each time that it's reported. Whenever the transfiguration is recorded in Scripture in the first three gospels, we call them the synoptic gospels, when the transfiguration is recorded in the first three gospels of the New Testament, the word episkaiso is used on every occasion. You remember the story. Jesus is on retreat with the core team of his disciples, Peter, James and John. They climb a mountain. The mountain is not identified in any way, but it's a mountain in Galilee. They they climb a mountain. It takes them a good while to climb there. They spend some time in prayer on the top of the mountain. And when Jesus is praying, something amazing happens. He's transfigured before them. He glows bright like the noonday sun. And as he's glowing and other things are happening around him, we'll look at this more carefully when we get to Luke chapter nine. Moses appears, Elijah appears, but something happens that has not happened since Old Testament times. A cloud comes upon them. And from the cloud, the voice of God identifies Jesus as his son. When that cloud comes upon them, the word that is used for that event that is translated into the English as enveloped, the word that is used is this word here. Now why would that word be the word that's used. The cloud enveloped them. It's translated here with Mary, overshadowing her. Why why that? Well, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament and in the common parlance that was was the universal language of the people at the time, the Greek in which the New Testament is written, this word indicates something that is part of the history of God among his people. You all remember the cloud that enveloped the tabernacle, the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. That same cloud that led the children of Israel out of captivity from Egypt into the wilderness and then on to the promised land. You'll remember that that cloud that led them out of Egypt, that cloud by day and pillar of fire by night came around and stood behind them and protected them from the pursuing Egyptians. This was the physical manifestation of the presence of God. The presence of God, which we know because we look with New Testament eyes, is of course the Holy Spirit among his people. This physical manifestation, this this physical symbol of God's presence, the cloud by day, the fire by night, are the symbols that always associate with the presence of God. It goes right back to Abraham. You remember last week we talked about these old hinges on which the doors of destiny hang. Abraham and Sarah, these old hinges on which the doors of destiny in the Old Testament hang. Elizabeth and Zechariah, we looked at last week, old hinges on which the doors of the New Testament hang. When God made His covenant with Abraham, The first time that he made a covenant that indicated that he was going to have a relationship with humanity again after the fall. He would made a general covenant at the end of the flood when he said he wasn't going to flood the world with water ever again and set the rainbow in the heavens as a sign of that covenant. Yes, he gave that as a, as a general covenant to all of humanity, but, but the first time that he made a covenant, a commitment, a relationship with a group of people saying that he would have an intimate relationship of love with human beings on the planet once more, the first time he did that was with Abraham and Sarah. And the way that it was symbolised was in smoke and fire. Abraham laid out the pieces of the, of the offering, you'll remember. And as night fell, so a smoking firepot and a blazing torch appeared. And from that moment on, smoke or cloud and fire were always the symbol of the presence of God. And when that smoke and fire was, if you like, expanded so as to cover all of the children of Israel as they escaped from Egypt. So it was a great cloud by day and a great pillar of fire by night. And when the Israelites got into the wilderness and God directed their leader Moses to to build according to the design of the Lord, a tent that looked like the tent of the king amongst his people. So the cloud came to settle on that tent. That tent of meeting, that that tabernacle, was intended for everyone else that looked upon the children of Israel to see a battle party, uh, an army surrounding the tent of the king. This was the royal tent in which the king was resident. But it, of course, was the the king of heaven and earth, and because it was the king of heaven and earth, so there was always the the great glory cloud above the tabernacle that glowed so bright in the darkness that it was as a pillar of fire. Now this, this symbol, of course, was extended again when when the tabernacle was put on one side and the permanent residence for the presence of God on earth was built by Solomon. When Solomon's temple was completed, the glory cloud appeared again. And it enveloped the building. God is saying something very, very important to Mary. And he's saying something very important to you and to I. He's saying Mary is a kind of forerunner. She's the kind of presage of what will come. She is an indicator, a sign, something that tells us what it is that God intends for all of his children, that God intends to come and live within us and not just around us. And the way that he indicates this is that he comes and brings the symbols of his presence and he envelops his people with them. On the day of Pentecost, fire comes into the room, the symbol of God's presence. Fire comes into the room and separates as tongues of fire above each person. Now what does that mean? It means that each person, all 120 of the original Christian group from which you and I are glad to be numbered, all all of that first church were now collectively the temple of the Lord, but individually. They were the temple of the Lord. The fire stood above each one of them. What is it that God is saying to us? He's saying that his desire for all of his children is that we know, episkaiso, we know, the overshadowing presence of God in our lives. And not just the external overshadowing, but just like in the Old Testament, when the temple and the tabernacle were made, the presence doesn't remain outside, but fills, but fills the temple. Paul puts it like this in First Corinthians chapter three, and in chapter six, he says, he says, your behavior, your behavior should be consistent with people who know that individually they're the temple of God. God lives within you, and so therefore your life should look like a life that is lived out in the knowledge that you're the temple of the living God. Now Paul uses the word temple, but actually what we are is a tabernacle because we're mobile. Maybe Some of us are not as mobile as we used to be, but we're still mobile. We're moving around like the tabernacle did. And as we move around, the thing that is most obvious about our lives from heaven's perspective is that our lives are filled with by the presence of God. God fills your life. So what should that mean? What what should that indicate to us? What should we do in response to this? Well, I think the story here tells us exactly what we should expect and how we should respond. You and I, from a biblical perspective, if we know the Lord Jesus Christ, are people in whom God has taken up residence. And therefore, you should expect a reaction in the people around you. Mary arrived at Zechariah's house and called out a greeting, hey Lizzie, I'm here. And as soon as Lizzie heard it her whole body responded because God had arrived. Imagine, it was just little Mary. It was just young Mary. And yet resident within Mary was God Himself. And so there was an immediate and tangible reaction Jesus says in Luke chapter 10, when he's giving the strategy of witness to the 72 disciples who are beyond the the 12 disciples, so the 72 who are kind of like you and me, he says this, he says, if they receive you, they receive me. If they reject you, they reject me. And if they reject me, they reject the one who sent me. So Jesus has tied his mission to you. Jesus has tied the world's reaction to him through you. And so how then are we to respond to this? What is the appropriate response for those of us who know the Lord and therefore absolutely know that the truth is this, that God lives within us. What what should be our response? Our response should be to be aware that we carry the greatest gift that anyone has ever carried. We should be conscious that the people around us may well react to the presence of God, I can remember I was uh, being ordained. The bishop—I don't know even whether he was a believer—but the bishop was laying hands on me, and God bless him, he'd never seen anything like it. My uh, my family were there. It's a very poor community in, uh, in in South London. And as he uh, as he laid hands on me, he um, he commissioned me as a as a as a leader in, in God's people. And he asked me a couple of questions. He said, will you, it's old English, he said, will you receive the cure of souls for the parish of All Saints Brixton Hill? Which was the church that I was being called to. The cure of souls is a great expression, isn't it? And I I was supposed to say, I will. And as I said, I will, a voice behind me said, take that back. Well, the bishop, I was facing the bishop, and the bishop's facing the congregation, and his, his eyes are like as big as saucers. <laughs> because there's a woman stood next to my mother who's kind of snarling and drooling. She came in as a, just an ordinary person, you know, just chatting to everybody. And she kept on saying, Take that back. This is my place. Now, it may not be that that's the kind of reaction that you get at work, you know, as you kind of just turn up to the, the water cooler or, the, or the, the, the coffee pot or whatever it is, but you can expect a reaction. There will be a reaction to the living God and you are the carrier of his presence. What an incredible honour. What a noble task. What a joy it is to be chosen for such a thing as this. No wonder there are reactions in our families. No wonder there are reactions amongst our neighbors and friends and work colleagues. And what's the reaction that we're looking for? Well, maybe not the reaction that I got in, in the ordination service. My mother was a, a champion that day. She, took the lady out and delivered her of the demon and then she brought her back in again, it was great. <laughs> My mum had never done that before, she just decided to do what Jesus did. Which is always a good thing to do, if, just a, if that's a, just as a little side point, it's, it's well worth remembering that. But the reaction that perhaps we're most looking for and longing to see is the reaction of Elizabeth something stirred in her, and she recognized that God was there with her. And the reaction in Mary to what it was that she saw in Elizabeth was simply this, praise and adoration. When we see people around us responding to the presence of Jesus, What can we do other than give him praise? And so the challenge for us this week is to host, is to welcome, is to recognize the presence of God within us. And that as we go about our business and as we visit our coffee shops and as we go about our groceries and and as we do our work, we're carrying the presence of God with us and we're looking for the reaction that his presence might be causing, particularly the presence where people say, wait a minute, I think God's in the room. And when when we see that reaction, I know for sure that our response will be, the response of praise. In the first service, the way that we completed our time of reflection and, um, and consideration of the word was to move into a time of prayer for healing. The reason we did that was because it seems the most appropriate thing to do at this point. Of course, the Lord Jesus lives within us by his spirit And the Lord Jesus is about the work that he always did. And so if he's about the work that he was always up to, then we should expect him to do it through us because he lives in us, surely. It's a fairly straightforward argument. It's not one of these big equations that you can't quite work out. Jesus lives in us. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's probably wanting to do the same things today that he used to do in the old days. What do you think? Sound crazy to you? No, it doesn't sound crazy to you at all, does it? So we thought that we would do that at the end of our time today. I know the worship team are gonna come and join me up here. No, they're not here already. I did that once and they were already there. <laughs> I thought they'd been transported by um, some Star Trek machine or something. So let's, um, let's just see. Where is there anybody here today who has come conscious of carrying a sickness, a condition, a challenge, particularly a physical challenge in their life that they'd like prayer for today. Anybody, just indicate to me by putting your hand up. Okay, so we've got, got three or four people uh, that we're already gonna pray for. And, and we've done this before. You've, um, you've seen what we do. We just bring folks out into a space so that we can get three or four people around them. We're gonna ha- ask three or four people to come and stand with them. If there are people up there, then of course you're welcome to come and join us as well. We'll have three or four people pray with them and I'll just guide you as to what it is that we do so that what we're doing and how we're praying is very consistent with how we see Jesus operating. But as I was praying for the first service, the Lord gave me a couple of indications of conditions that that I shared with the first service. Uh, it was a, a neck condition and a condition in the, in the arches of the feet. And interestingly, there were people there who hadn't put their hands up for the other things, but actually did have those conditions. We prayed for them and saw some, uh, some real blessing and healing in their lives. When I prayed for this service, I felt as though the Lord was indicating something about the throat, maybe the esophagus, in some way or another that seemed to, when I prayed about it, it seemed to be a painful throat. And I didn't know whether, it, again, a bit like the neck injury that we prayed for in the earlier service, I didn't know whether it was something to do with an injury. I don't know how you injure you. I mean, I don't know anything about any of those kind of medical things, but, but um, that, that, was, um, that was one of the things I prayed for, and, and the other one was a, was a pelvis. Um, and somehow, I, and again, I don't know how this happens, but, but the, the pelvis condition was causing pain in the lower abdomen. And um, so I don't know what that is. is Has there anybody got those conditions here? You got the throat thing? I can't see your hand unless you really, really wave it. Oh, this lady. <laughs> is, that, is, is that the throat thing that you have? Okay, and was it an injury that did that or what was that? Oh, okay, yeah. So, but, but it's right here in the throat, is it? Okay, good. Well, we'll pray for that. And what, there's a gentleman back there, is, is it yours the throat or is yours the pelvis? Oh, it's a lady. The, the throat thing? I couldn't see, I could only see your hand. Um, what about the pelvic thing? Anybody got that? Oh, right, way up, wow, you must have a nosebleed being that far up there. God bless you. Do you think we can get we can get you down here in about 5 minutes? You probably need to start making your way now, I think. And is is there anyone else uh, uh, right here? Is that the pelvis thing? What is that? Yeah? Is your name Elvis? <laughs> when you were a boy you were called Elvis, that's right, yeah. tendon from the back wraps right around through the Okay. So it's a like a tendon thing in the in the pelvic area. Okay. See, just as well I don't know any of these medical things, isn't it? All right, so all of those put, who put their hands up, um, if you would come up here and if three or four people would get around each of the people and uh, that young lady, I don't know whether she started yet, it'll take a while to get here. If she can come down as well, that'd be great. And um, come on, you, you need to come up and so we can get praying with you. Now we can do it, we can do it in, on other Sundays uh, in, the, in the pews and things like that, but it seemed more appropriate this week to do this because we've got some worship that we're going to do in a moment. And so we're going to have everybody participate in the prayers for healing by everyone participating in the, in the final set of worship. So if we can just spread out a bit, let's get some people around you. Now what we're, what we're doing, guys, is we're simply doing prayer for healing in the way that that Jesus did. Let's get somebody around this gentleman here. And so we're operating with three things that we're remembering. We're remembering that there is a basic revelation, and the basic revelation is this. Jesus revealed in his life that the Father wants us well. He just revealed that. Our Father wants us well. He said, which of you fathers whose children ask for bread, give a stone. If you, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, will not your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who are? So our Father, we can assume our Father, is at least as good as us, yeah? And I don't know any parent who doesn't want their children well. So you can assume that we're praying with that basic revelation, that what's happening in heaven right now, everybody's well in heaven, there's no sick people in heaven, We're asking that the kingdom come here and we see that healing here. So that's the first thing. The revelation is our Father wants us well. The second thing is is that we relate to people in a way that's appropriate. So we don't do anything weird. We don't do anything kind of odd. We don't start shouting at people or blaming them for being sick or anything like that because clearly that's not the way that Jesus operated. We appropriately pray for them. So maybe we lay a hand on them appropriately, maybe on a shoulder. We pray for them and then ask how we're doing. Because it's, it's not a kind of a weird thing this, we just find out what's happening, yeah? And then finally, we remember that we're representing Jesus as we pray. Jesus lives within us. And so Jesus is about his work right now. Is that good? Everybody, and is everybody else ready to continue to participate in this by worshiping? So let's stand together, the rest of us, and the, the band of leaders. And we'll pray as the Lord leads us to do that. Get, get round each person, ask them what the condition is, begin praying with them.